Get ready. You're listening to Give God 90 live. Five, four, three, <coughs> two, one, zero. Welcome to Give God 90. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jerry Mitchell, your host for Give God 90. My lovely and talented... Do that again. (laughs) It was just weird the way it showed up in the the screen. Uh, My lovely and talented (laughs) wife, Meyer. We are so glad uh, that everybody is um, starting to share this stuff around and and get it out there. Uh, Apparently, it's valuable. To people, to some people. Um, Of course, on Thursday nights, we do this live. Mm -hmm. And we are live on uh, Facebook. We are live on Spreaker, uh, the podcasting source. And when it's all over and done with, it gets posted to Twitter and Tumblr and YouTube and other places. Um, I could let everybody in on a little bit of a secret. Uh, Do you want to wait a few minutes till people are listening? No, this way they know they got to get. Oh, they got to go back. Oh, they got to go back and listen. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> okay. Uh, when I teach at Messianic Delaware, I do a presentation there, typically using, uh, well, it's Keynote on Mac, but like a PowerPoint presentation. And I will also do an audio recording of that, and it will be on Messianic Delaware's, uh, MessianicDelaware.org is their website on their teaching page. But the way it gets on their teaching page is it's linked through my YouTube account. So if you want to see that, or if you want to go back and look at all those archives, they're all there. Um, it's Jerry Mitchell... Uh, something. I see you. <laughs> it's Jerry Mitchell and a couple of numbers at YouTube. Um, but you'll see it. There's actually about 10 hours of teaching on Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Um it, it, it actually was like 10 hours that I did on those recordings, but when we did that lot, series live, there's almost 20-some hours of live teaching. So that was like a in-depth documentary kind of thing, almost. So, um, there's that you can go listen to. Of course, there's the uh, Give God 90 app that people are downloading all the time. It's free. Somebody else paid for it. Typically us. Mm-hmm. Although more we've and more, had, pe- we've had a few, more, and more people. people are giving and we appreciate that. Um, but then on Monday nights, I do my little bit more in-depth thing. I record that beforehand. So if I don't say something that's the way I want it to say, or it doesn't sound the way I want it to sound, I can always go back and change it. <clears throat> I can't do that when we do this live. So <laughs> no. my mistakes are my mistakes, and I have to own up to them here. I can't go back and edit them out. 
but we do that. Uh, and I actually had a couple of really interesting things happen from uh, the past Monday's uh, podcast that I did called What Are You Hiding For? And um, lots, well, I won't say lots of comments, a few comments all over the board with that. Um, one was, you know, don't you realize that, that we're, the church is being persecuted in other countries? One was, oh, I'm so glad you did this. One was, you know, there, there were just different things that were out there. Um, so it, it's people, although they liked it, they had all kinds of different opinions about it. And one of the things that I've said here quite often is, you know, Satan killing you is not the worst thing he can do to you, right? Right. And I actually had somebody say, but you never said, hey, Sean. Hi, Sean. Um, I actually had somebody say, well, if Satan killing you is not the worst thing that, that he can do to you, what is the worst thing he can do to you? Well, I guess I've never given that answer. So here's the answer to that. The worst thing the enemy can do is convince you to sit down and be quiet. If if Satan can convince you to sit down and shut up, that's the worst thing he can do to you because now he has silenced a believer. You can't offer your witness. You can't offer your testimony. You can't speak to people about your faith. Think about that. If the people in the early church who was, you know, we often hear about them being persecuted, right? Mm -hmm. If they would have closed themselves behind their doors and not said anything to anybody, where would we be today? Not where we're at. Not where we're at, exactly. <clears throat> so, you know, the thing about being killed or having the enemy kill you, there's a really neat place in Revelation. Well, let me back up for a minute. If you are killed for your faith, you're considered a martyr, right? Right. Okay. So, there's this really cool uh, place in, in Revelation where the Messiah is getting ready to return just after the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he does something really interesting. He walks over and he dips his, he well, actually in Greek it says he immerses, he baptizes his robes in the blood of the martyrs. So he's literally wearing the DNA of every person who was ever killed for his name when he comes as the reigning Messiah. Now that's some powerful testimony right there. Mm -hmm. That is some powerful testimony. So... That's the answer. If if you really want to be defeated by the enemy, just sit down and be quiet. Hi, Pam. So glad to have you join us Hi, tonight. Hi, Pam. Um, looking forward to seeing you before you and Joni take off for foreign lands. Um, tonight, though, we have something uh, that I get a lot of questions about because I speak a little bit, little bit, Katsat Hebrew. Um, so people ask me, how do you know what you know to be real? When I say something and I, and I, um, tell you that a verse isn't what it, what you might think it is, people say, well, how do you know? Because I take the time to go back and look. <laughs> that's the short answer. That's the, that's the sarcastic answer too. But in reality, that's what I do. 
language is a funny thing. The English language has evolved over the years. The definitions have changed some. We've got to be aware of that. But there's other things that happen too. Um, the use of pronouns like he, she, him, her, and it are prevalent throughout Scripture. Now, as an example, let's just pretend that we have been talking about Mary and Martha, just off the top of my head, okay? Okay. Now, we've been talking about these two women, and I say, well, she washed her car. Now, you have to tell me whose car got washed and who did the washing. Mm. <laughs> Not in this story. Not in this story. <laughs> Based on that information, there's no way to know, right? There isn't. So you go back through the conversation and you have to kind of figure out who's doing what action. Mm-hmm. That actually comes... Uh, there's actually a, a a lesson in scripture about that in Genesis where um, Joseph is, is talking to the other two prisoners, the cupbearer and um, the other guy. <laughs> but I can't remember what his job was. That's terrible when I draw a blank like that. Anyway, Joseph's talking to these two guys about it and they're, he's interpreting their dream. And the thing that we miss in English is that they actually interpreted each other's dream, but you don't get that because the one that had the bad news kept his mouth shut. But in English, it doesn't come through like that. You actually have to go back and read that story in its original language to figure that out. There's other places that do that as well. And there are words that translations don't really translate very well translators for some reason you know they they take a current word and they say well this is what it's going to mean forever um this week in particularly in particular i should say uh, if you look at the uh, the torah portion of kev and you look at the english part of it the translation is because problem is there is another Hebrew word that's often translated as because. And the word is key. key. Um, so you have two Hebrew words, meaning two different things. They're kind of related, but not really. But we have one English word that's translated that way. So you have two thoughts, one word. You think that can be confusing? Uh-huh. Uh, it can I'm be. sure it is. And, and our job, when we're reading this stuff, if something doesn't make sense, is to go back and we look and we say, okay. And sometimes you can, can get the English context or get the context just in English. Sometimes you can't. One of the, the ones you, you really can't is found in numbers and it's marked in your Bible. I, I was kind to you. You don't even have to dig through there. Numbers 22. I don't dig. (laughs) Numbers 22. I need you to read verses, I'm sorry, 20 and 21. God came to Balaam by night and said to him, Since the men came to you to summon you, arise and go with them. 
However, only the word I tell you, you are to do. So Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite princess. Sorry, prince. Princess. Princess. That's it. Okay, read the next verse. But the anger of God burned because he was going. The angel of Adonai stood in the road to oppose him. He was riding on his donkey, and two of his servants were with him. Okay. So, Balaam gets, you know, this okay from God to go with this Moabite princess, right? Yes. So, Balaam gets up, saddles his donkey, and goes with him, with them. And God's mad at him for doing what he was told. What did we miss? <laughs> <laughs> what we're missing is, once again, we have one English word, two Hebrew words, different concepts. This time it's the word with. The word with in Hebrew... Uh, breaks it down in two different ways. Now, in English, you and I could fly on an airplane together, right? And we're going, even though we're going to the same destination, we're going with each other. We're going somewhere, maybe on vacation. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Okay. Um, when do we leave? <laughs> when do we leave? That's a good question. But we're of the same mindset. We are headed towards the same thing. Mm-hmm. Now, there are other people on the airplane. We're with them as well, right? Right. And the joke is all the way to the scene of the crash, right? Right. Okay. <laughs> we're the first ones to arrive. But the thing is, we're not. We might not be in the same mindset as those people, but we're still with them. Right. One English word. Two different concepts. Hebrew breaks it down two different ways. The word used in verse twenty for with is the word im. You im. You are to... Um, <laughs> you are to be there and you're to go. You're to accompany. But Balaam gets up. He saddles his donkey. Obviously, Balaam's thinking something else. Balaam's thinking the other word and in, in uh, the conjugated form in uh, verse 21 is, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I just messed up. Oh, let me back up. In verse 20, the word is atem. He's, God says, you go with him, but you do what I say. Balaam gets up, he saddles his donkey. Now Balaam, his mindset is the word im. He's going with them. See the difference? His mindset is, God told me I could go. So, I'm going to go and I'm going to see if I can benefit myself while I'm out there. That's the mindset. He's going with them. His mindset and their mindset are one. He's not just accompanying them. He's going with them. They are together. Do you follow that? 
So whatever bad they do, whatever they steal, whatever they or whatever they do, he's going to take part in it as opposed to be a witness. Right. Gotcha. You understand that now? Yes. You're sure? Mm-hmm. Just clear as mud, isn't it? Yes. Okay. So but is, that's Hebrew versus so, English. <laughs> so is it any wonder when people say, it's just too hard to understand? Now, have you... Now, and that comes from Moses' writing, right? Has Have you ever heard anybody use the phrase, boy, that Paul, he just writes things out so clear... We know exactly what he's thinking. <laughs> no, I can't say In fact, it's just the opposite. <laughs> Even Peter says the things that Paul comes up with is confusing. If you're not paying attention. Peter's giving a warning there saying, look, the things that Paul says, you've got to dig into because Paul knew his stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was learning these things and he was, he knew you know, from Genesis through Deuteronomy, and he could recite it at any point, mm-hmm. verbatim, by heart, from memory. He had committed it to memory, he knew what it meant, and he understood it. That's what it meant to be zealous for the law. He understood it, he knew it, he, he dug into it to the point where he had it committed to memory. Um, don't ask me to do that by the way in fact one of the tests for uh the priests they were getting ready to serve in the temple is they would stand before the the uh, elder priests and the elder priest would begin to recite part of something out of the torah out of the first five books one of the first five books i should say and if you were good enough you would pick up on where they're at and just keep going until they told you to stop. Mm-hmm. So if they started with, in the beginning, <laughs> it was up to them if they wanted to stop you before you reached... Numbers. Numbers, or <laughs> Leviticus, <laughs> Deuteronomy. You know, that, that was their test. How many people... <laughs> thanks, John, you just noticed that? <laughs> Pam actually made these for us. Yeah. Yep, Good she did. Um, but they, they did that. That was their test. How many pastors today do you know that can do that? There's not very many out there if there are any at all. Some Mm -hmm. have committed certain books to memory. Mm -hmm. Some have committed, but that's only one translation that they're doing. You know, my, my pet peeve with teaching kids memory verses is we teach them these memory verses and we don't teach them what it means. Mm-hmm. You know, they can say, you know, for God so loved the world, but they have no clue what it means. You know, they can say, you know, um, what's the other famous one? Um, First John 1 9. Um, uh, yeah, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. But they don't. They can't tell you what it means. They, you know, people can recite and do recite often Psalm twenty three from memory. Mm-hmm. But they don't realize Psalm twenty three is a victory march. You know, they they think because it has that one verse in there about the either I walk through the shadow of death, it has something to do with dying or a funeral. 
they don't realize it's a victory march. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't understand, they don't grasp the concept of you prepare a table in front of my enemies. You know, think about Douglas MacArthur sitting down at a table with, you know, on the USS Missouri after the end mm -hmm. of World War II. That is preparing a table in the presence of your enemy. That's a victory march. But they don't think that way because mm -hmm. the translations quite often are confusing. It's no wonder people tell us or tell me all the time, I don't know how you understand what you're reading. So, how do I understand what I'm reading? You've got to go back, you've got to dig. You know, I know enough Hebrew sometimes to get me in trouble. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are tools today that we have at our disposal that we can look up every word, we can look up every meaning of every word, and we can understand the context. The other problem is, when we're, especially when we look at the New Testament, we're reading somebody else's mail. When you start reading Paul's letters to the Corinthians, he's going to write something different to the Corinthians than he did to the Romans because he's telling the Corinthians something they need to hear. He's telling the Romans something they need to hear, but he's telling them the same thing just in the way that they're going to understand it. You know, it's it's kind of like you would write a letter to someone, or you work with uh, a person who was born in the former Soviet Union. You're going to explain things differently to her. Mm-hmm. Then you are going to explain to somebody who maybe was born in Oklahoma. Right. You're explaining the same concept, same thing, teaching them how to do the same job, but you're explaining it two different ways. True. So that's why people get so confused is they don't realize he's saying the same thing, but he's explaining it to two different groups of people. Moses is a little easier to come through because Moses is just writing to this probably somewhere around a million, million and a half people that came out of Egypt. You know, he's got this group that he's responsible with or responsible for, and he's saying, you know, I've got to, to write something down so these people can understand it. They've got to be able to look back and, and recognize what we were doing, what we were saying, where we were going and why we were going there. But when we read it today, 4,000 years later, it's not coming through the same way. Now, let's throw some more confusion on top of it. Scripture was translated into English sometime around uh, the, the 16th century, 1500s. That's when it was written in English. They had little bits and pieces of it before that, but you know, really it, it was around the 16th century. In the 16th century, we didn't speak English the way we speak English today. No, we don't. Um, in fact, 100 years ago, we don't speak English like <laughs> we spoke English today. 100 years ago, if you said, that's cool, <laughs> somebody's probably going to go, Here's the code. It's yeah, you know, it's August. What are you talking about? Cool, dude. <laughs> you know? Man, what are you nuts? 
so we have the evolution of English. So now, with all of these things, there are, there are resources we use. We use interlinear uh, scripture. We use Strong's. But the problem is, Strong's is taken right out of the King James. So if there's a, if there's a mistake in the King James, it's going to carry through the Strong's, which is going to carry through some of your interlinear stuff. Um, there, are, there is uh, the Nestle Allen critical Greek text that we can go to. There's a Septuagint we can go to. There's all of these resources, and thankfully today, most of them are free online. If you have an internet connection and a smartphone, you can do your own Bible study. But you've got to be willing to do it. <laughs> that's, what, that's what prevents a lot of people from doing it. They don't know where to start. They don't know what to do. There's resources out there that will teach you that. Um, one of the, the two of the, well, I should say, two of the ones that I like to, to work back and forth between is Bible Gateway and Bible Hub. Because when you put, if they could somehow put the two of those together, it would be a great resource, but they don't, so that's okay. You can go back and forth between the two because in Bible Gateway, you can have um, a list of translations of, of a single verse. You can't do it with a whole passage that I know of. I haven't figured out how to do it yet, if you can. But you can have a, a, however many different translations they offer, and it get, goes down your computer page. And it, it will give you every, you know, every, transla every English translation. And you look through them and you go, well, none of these make sense. So you take that verse, you go over to Bible Hub, you plug it in, and what I will usually do, here's my tip of the day, go to their interlinear and see what it says there. Because if you click on a word and it doesn't make sense, now you have to dig a little deeper. Now you have to go back to um, something like a regular Hebrew source, either a Stones Tanakh or a um, JPS Tanakh, something like that. Unfortunately, a lot of the translators for those translations, also they kind of picked up on what the other translators had said before them. So you got to be careful. You've got to look at uh, the actual Hebrew side and say, which word doesn't match over here? It gets intense, but that's what you have to do. It's kind of like being a forensic scientist for a document that was written 4,000 years ago, up to 4,000 years ago. It's easy. All you got to do is do it. The confusion, though, oftentimes can be... Um, uh, what's the word over the one you You can figure it out in English. You want to read a little bit more? Oh. Start okay. in Matthew 24. And down in verse 5. Now, they've just come across the Kidron Valley and... Um, well, go ahead and read. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and will lead many astray. All right, stop right there. If we just read that part, 
it sounds to me, in this English translation, like he's saying, look, a lot of people are going to come in my name saying, I'm going to lead you astray. Right? So context is everything. You know that can't be what it says. But the way it's written, that's what it sounds like, if that's all you read. All right, keep going for a minute. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must happen, but it is not yet the end. All right, stop right there for a second. So, that is something he said. There's going to be wars, there's going to be rumors of wars. So, for at least 2,000 years, we have this prophecy that there's going to be war and rumors of war. Well, for 2,000 years, there have been wars. There have been rumors of wars. It's nothing new. But every time something happens, you always have this small group of people, and it's a growing group of people, that say, Oh, I wonder if this is the one. Oh, I wonder if this is it. Great. Keep going. For nations will rise up against nations, and kingdoms against kingdom. And there will be family, fam, famines and earthquakes in various places. But all these things are the only the beginning of birth pains. Keep, Keep going. going. Then they will hand you over to persecution and will kill you. You will be hated by the nations because of my name. And then many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Because lawlessness will multiply, and love of many will grow cold. All right, stop right there for a second. Now, in the past two thousand yeah, in the past two thousand years, <clears throat> have many false prophets arised? Yes. Arisen. Yes. Arisen. Yes. Oh, absolutely. So that's nothing new. Right. Right. We've got the same thing going on over and over and over again. History's repeating itself. Keep going. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This good news of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation, which is spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing by the holy place, let... No. All right, you can stop. Because you got to the part where I wanted to go. The abomination of desolation by church historians has already taken place. It had already taken place when Yeshua spoke these words. Because the abomination of desolation that, that they're referring to is um, what Judas Maccabee witnessed and what started the Maccabean revolt, which is where we get Hanukkah today. If the abomination of desolation had already taken place, as the, many of the church historians claim, how is Yeshua able to say, when you see this happen, follow me there, when you see this happen, well, if it's already happened, why didn't he say, this what happened, saw. what you saw, <laughs> what you read about? What we tell you is true. So what he's telling you is it's happening, it's going to happen in the future. And we know when we, when we match this up with Paul's uh, phrase 
the man of perdition, that man of complete and utter despair and hopelessness, sits on the Ark of the Covenant and proclaims to be God. That's what you're looking for. But because so many people want to keep looking back as this has already happened, they lose track of that. They don't think about this being in the future. They're thinking it's already happened. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay, so why do you look confused? I don't know. <laughs> Tired? Well, you should be. It's been a long time since 3.30 this morning. <laughs> when we read in English, and it plainly says, this event is going to be future. Now, was it an abomination with what Antiochus did in uh, about two? 5260 BC, yes. you know, when they were killing pigs and, and, and sacrificing pigs on the altar of the temple. Yeah, that was an abomination. Not the one they're talking about, by the, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, though. Obviously, that's going to happen in the future because he says, when you see this happen. So, most of the, a lot of times, I'm not going to say most of the time, many, many, many times, we can look at the English and with just a little bit of thinking, figure this stuff out. It's not that hard. It's not rocket science. Sometimes there can be problems with translation, absolutely. And it's mind-boggling, confusing, until you go through it and you go, oh, that's what that means. And many times, you know, here in this room, we have the group that meets and they go, oh, now I see it. Now I get it. That, okay, that makes sense. Just like Matthew 24. When you see this happen at some point in the future, not when you read about it in the past, not when it's already happened, but when you see it in the future. That way you know it can't be in the past. That way you know that yeah, it was an abomination. It, it was a terrible thing that had to happen. And it had to happen. But at the same time, it's not a done deal. Already done deal, I should say, maybe. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen again. So that's where we're at with this. It's not... Um, there's a whole lot of, of these type of... of things we can look at but now here's something else to think about before we close this out there are over 42,000 different Christian denominations in the world today that's more denominations than there are verses in the Bible mm -hmm. many times these denominations will take one verse completely out of context and that's their doctrine they make a whole new denominational doctrine out of something and they really haven't given it any thought sad but true we need to be more aggressive when it comes to looking at some of these denominations and saying glad you're using the bible think it's great let me show you how to get it right <laughs> Let me show you that you can't just take this one word or this one sentence 
or this one piece of sentence sometimes and form a doctrine on it. You, you know, what's around it? Look at the surrounding passages and tell me what it's about. Look at the culture of the time. Look at the language, the original language it was written in. Who wrote it? Who was it written to? And I think if we would be a little more aggressive on some, towards some of these um, lesser denominations, we could start bringing them back and pointing them down the path they need to be going instead of down the path where they think they want to go. Because um, trust me, when you go down the path you think you want to go, oh, it's bad. you're going to wind up in the belly of a fish somewhere, <laughs> somehow, sometime. That's going to happen. It's it's not that difficult. It's easy. It's not always easy to figure out, but it's worthwhile to figure out. Mm-hmm. So, um, hopefully, that kind of sheds some light on where the problems come from, how you deal with them, and what can come of it when you do deal with them. You get a better understanding of what it's really saying. Because, and and I I actually have had the conversation one time and, and a rabbi was telling me, well, the sages, you know, they have been, they were just brilliant people. And I said, well, are we dummies? And he looked at me and said, well, no. So, well, aren't we just as smart as some of them? Probably. Could they have been wrong just as we could be wrong? Oh, no, they couldn't be wrong just as we've been wrong. Yeah, they could have been wrong too, Okay. Whenever you start down that road, don't think just because somebody had a thought before you that it's always going to be right. Mm -hmm. How many times do people, especially today in Western medicine, go for a second and third opinion? Oh, cool, Sean. I love it. The uh, real... uh, the Bible summary for real people is at the editors now. Glad to hear that. Oh, good job. That's Glad awesome. Glad to hear that. That's cool. <laughs> um, what he, Actually, what he's talking about there is I think he does every book of the Bible in like 250 words, if I'm thinking of that right. It's 250 words or less, uh, summary of, of every book of the Bible. Um Soon to be available at a bookstore near you, mm-hmm. wherever fine books are sold, right? Um, but anyway, you know, the, just because somebody had a thought before you did, you know, the first doctor comes in, oh, this is what's wrong with you. Well, I don't like your opinion. I'm going to go get another opinion. Mm-hmm. Now, when you get to the fourth, fifth, and sixth opinion, and everybody says the same thing, you've probably got a problem. Right. But... The first one, just because he's first, doesn't always necessarily have to be right. They can interpret tests wrong, too. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Um, don't forget, though, it all comes with study, it all comes with prayer, and it all comes with something that people don't like that anymore, and that's hard work. You've got, you've got to be willing to put in some time, you know, digging through the Bible, digging through the resources, and actually reading. Um, YouTube's a great resource today, but don't depend on somebody else to tell you what to think, even me. I can't remember which letter it is Paul wrote where he says, look, if I tell you something wrong, don't believe me. You do what Yeshua did. Mm -hmm. So if I tell you to go somewhere that Yeshua didn't go, don't go there. (laughs) Just saying. Um 
So hopefully this has been a blessing to everyone. We certainly, certainly hope you uh, enjoyed. I'm just turning something on for the people from Speaker here. Uh, we, you have enjoyed this, and we welcome you. We thank you, and have a wonderful, wonderful week, folks. See you next time.